Welcome to Beyond 90 with your hosts, Lance Trezona and Jake Gutierrez. Today we're joined by community activist and humanitarian who also happens to be a veteran professional football player for New Mexico United in the USL Championship. We're very excited to have David Estrada on as a guest today. David, welcome to the show, man. Excellent. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate you guys having me. When did you fall in love with football? Uh, growing up, it was something that um, our family did together. I have a very large extended family. And every weekend, uh, my dad has four brothers that live in Salinas, California. And we actually had a team named after my mom's side's uh, father. And it was called Deportivo Armando Mora. <clears throat> and so every weekend, you know, a lot of my family worked in agriculture out in the fields. But uh, I just remember as a kid look, uh, looking forward to the weekend, watching them play. And I fell in love with the game then. I, I saw what it meant to them. Uh, I enjoyed seeing my little cousins and you know, we would get together and cheer for our fathers. Like it, we weren't like uh, cheering for them, you know, like the work or whatever, but like to, to be able to come together and, and do that, like it was probably one of the best memories growing up. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's sad because you, you, you reflect on it. And those were probably some of the most beautiful uh, moments of soccer in terms of supporting a team yeah. that I've ever kind of lived through, to be honest. Dude, that's nice, man. So what? I, I know you're from Salinas. So what was uh, young David like growing up in Salinas, California, bro? Young David was lost, man. Young David was <laughs> angry at the world. Uh, he was looking for trouble. Um, he found it. But luckily, I had parents that were pretty strict. Uh, my mom, my dad come from very... Uh, uh, their parents were very disciplined with them as well. And so, you know, I, I was uh, disciplined the old-fashioned way. I don't think it's the best way to go about it. Uh, but I think my mom, for example, she taught me a very, very good lesson when I was in middle school. I got suspended twice uh, for fighting. <clears throat> and she told me the first time I got suspended that if, if I got suspended again, that she was going to go with me to school for a whole week and sit right next to me at every classroom. And I thought, like, she was, she was bluffing. She worked in agriculture. It's so hard to, like, get time off, right? Like, so I was like, all right, whatever. And so sure enough, like, the next week when I get got back from, like, getting suspended the first time, I got another fight and I got suspended again. And my mom took off a whole week and sat with me every single class. She followed me everywhere in lunch. And so she taught me a valuable lesson then. You know, she, she basically kept her word. <clears throat> and she, in a way, I hated it in the moment, but in a way she showed me how much she cared about me, how much she loved me. And again, looking back, is those, those are some of those uh, lessons that you don't realize how much they mean until you kind of reflect on them. <laughs> um, so you were born in Mexico, right? And moved to Salinas when you were a baby? Do you still have a yeah, uh, family in either or both places? Either one? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. In Salinas, man, I have like extended family. So growing yeah. up, I, I, we lived in an apartment complex where... It was all family, man. And uh, I grew up with uh, cousins and around my age that were like like five or six of them. And so all my family worked in agriculture. So you know how they work with the seasons. So you yeah. can tell you can kind of like realize how they we all kind of grew were born around that same time. Uh, and so, you know, it was I, I still have family. I keep in touch with them. And it's a large extended family. man. it's 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 crazy. And, and again, I like to think about this because I think it's important that sometimes uh, we, we think materialistic wise, like uh, 
living in poverty or in low-income areas. We don't have uh, the resources, but we do have strong relationships with our families. And I think those are some of the things that make us so like uh, resilient because we have each other's back. And so I have a large extended family that uh, I still keep in touch with. And um, I'm, I'm always appreciative because they all played a part in my in my upbringing. So it does sound like you come from a pretty big family, huh? Yeah, man. Um, just my dad alone has five brothers. They all have kids. Um, it's, this is how crazy it is. Like my grandfather's brother, their fa- their side of the family are like my first cousins, but obviously they're like second, third cousins or whatever. And so like we grow up, we grew up, we, you can't throw a party in this apartment complex and not invite everybody else. Right. So like, that's how big <laughs> our parties were like, and uh, yeah, man, it was just cool. Like to kind of, uh, grow up in an environment, such a family environment like that. So service and activism will probably be a bit of the a theme while we're talking to you. Um, we're learning already, man, about the strong ties in your family and, and your mom teaching you lessons that were important. But where did that sense of service originate for you? Uh, I think obviously uh, growing up in a low-income area, I understand the needs for children to have positive models. Um I saw things that I think children shouldn't have to like go through, uh, especially in those type of environments. Um, for me, my parents always provided for me, and I understand that there are other uh, households that weren't that weren't as uh, fortunate. And so, I know there's always a need for for people just you know to to let them know that we're here. And I think that I was very lucky to land in Seattle my as a my first year as a professional. And I saw the impact that we could have as professional athletes in these communities. And uh, being Mexican American, born in Mexico, I think I have, uh, you know, I have a story and a platform that I can share with the children. And um, for me, it's all about hopefully inspiring the next generation in Salinas and wherever I go. And I think uh, I, I think it's important to be able to use this platform in a positive way, right? And so. Now being here in my 11th year to be in a place similar to uh, Seattle in terms of the impact that we're having in the community, I think it's, it's beautiful, man. And that's something that I want to continue to, to do even after I'm done playing soccer. So I'm just going to take you back to your um, like senior year going into college, man. Um, stellar, stellar high school career. You had scholarship offers from Cal Poly and San Jose State but declined to walk on at UCLA your freshman year, where you led the team in scoring and were named National Freshman of the Year by Soccer America. What was your thought process when deciding to decline the scholarship offers to walk on at UCLA, man? Uh, for being a first generation, um, I didn't really understand it, but I did have uh, a family member that went to college that kind of helped me, that connected me with uh, coaches at UCLA, and he lived in LA. His name is Jazz. Rodriguez and he's another extended cousin that's like obviously he went through all this like trouble to get me this opportunity but he said you know I really think that you can play in, in at UCLA at in a division one college when he told me this I didn't I'd never even heard the the term d1 like and so this was between my sophomore and junior year um, again my trend of I didn't really care about school as much I wasn't as motivated academically and so he's like, just get your grades up. And I promise you that if you, you do that, you can get an opportunity to play in college. I was like, all right, I'll do that. And that maybe for me, I always had in my mind that I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I didn't know how, I didn't know where, but um, I knew that was always like 
a no non-negotiable. It was going to happen. I believed in myself and my ability, and I believed that I was going to do everything I could to make it happen. And uh, Jazz was kind of like one of those individuals along my life that has guided me. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, I mean, it turns out my parents that I was turning down, like, uh, close to the maybe what fifteen thousand, twenty thousand uh, dollars a year for these uh, institutions like Cal Poly San Jose Obispo to go to a, a school like UCLA. They didn't really understand, and um, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually lied to my parents and told them that I was going to be covered financially through like FAFSA at UCLA. <clears throat> but uh, I told them that uh, they didn't have to worry about it. And uh, one of the most difficult phone calls that I've ever had to do in my life was uh, call my parents and ask them for like three grand to pay admissions because otherwise I wasn't going to be able to dress up uh, one of the weekends. And yeah, and I was like, I think about it and it still hurts because uh, it's it's like you lose your parents' trust. And I mean, what do you have? Right? Like, that's one of the most valuable things you can have in terms of like just a human being overall. And uh when I hung up that, that phone call, I just remember saying, like, I'm going to earn a scholarship. And as they say, the rest is history, right? <laughs> nice. So so after your freshman year, UCLA ponied up then? and, and I, mean, I mean, I would hope so, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's crazy because, like, uh, during this time, too, there were, like, whispers that um, Columbus Crew was, like, interested. And uh, that's when Siggy Smith was there with the Columbus Crew. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with my family and uh, with my coach and I decided to stay. Uh, and, you know, I think it's it was a smart move on my part to stay because I don't think I was uh, in terms of maturity. I wasn't ready to be on my own and kind of pursue that uh, journey just yet. Yeah, I know that must have been a hard ass conversation to have with your parents and stuff, but yeah. it paid. No, it, it, was, paid it was crazy, too, because I was uh, some of the coaches. I won't say any names, um, but they they did a lot to like try to make me go to their schools, and they they had the scholarship printed out. They handed it to me, and they're like, "There you go." And so when I told one of the coaches, you know what, like I'm, I think I'm gonna go with UCLA, and I appreciate everything you've done. It's like, okay, well, good luck riding the bench. Uh, I doubt you'll see the field. Uh, I seen you struggle with some high school center backs. Just wait till you play with like D1. And so, you know, like sometimes, uh, you know, it could be very, uh, it could put you down. But for me, that, that fueled, that fueled my fire. And I was like, okay, well, I'll prove you, I'll prove to you. And a lot of things had to happen in terms of just like circumstances. And I always, I mean, I think I worked really hard, but some things happened where, you know, I was put in a position to take advantage of the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I was, I just worked my butt off and, and thankfully things worked out. Were you living in Westwood? Were you living in the dorms? <laughs> ah, man, I could, I could have, I couldn't afford those $3,000 for tuition. Man. You think I could afford <laughs> living in Westwood? Actually like, um, I, so the preseason starts before uh, school starts. So you're provided the first month and you get a stipend. And so I was living nice, man. I was living in the dorms, getting paid like uh, to like get food. We would get like 600 bucks for the month or whatever. And uh, 
I'd never seen a Whole Foods and I would spend all my money. That's the first time like, I went to Whole Foods and my money ran out like in two weeks, man. <laughs> but uh, so they provide housing. But once like uh, school started, you you move into your dorms because these are temporary like situations. Um, and so <clears throat> I couldn't afford to, to live. So I opt out of the housing. And so I would actually commute for my cousin's uh, a house that he had at the time on Fairfax Avenue, which is like 10 minutes driving, but with traffic, it's like 30, 40 minutes. So I was commuting. At first, he would drive me back and forth for campus from, from training to, to school for classes. And then um, I eventually, my parents let me borrow their car and I would drive myself. And uh, again, not a lot of people know this, but uh, I slept on my ca- cousin's couch um, I slept at times on, at my teammates' uh, dorm rooms in between like their beds, so it's like two beds. You know how small the dorms are. And sometimes I would sleep on the floor, and so you know those are some of the things that uh, you have to go through. And obviously, maybe if I was a little bit better prepared in terms of just knowing the ins and outs of um, getting FAFSA and all that stuff, I wouldn't have to have dealt with some of that stuff, but. You know, I think I wouldn't trade any of those experiences for anything in the world because it made me appreciate so much more um, the journey. And um, I've made some really good friends along the, line, along the journey that have, you know, supported me through thick and thin. I read something um, that said you weren't expected to be drafted in the first round. You were yeah. surprised by it and went running and screaming in your backyard. So I guess Seattle didn't really reveal how much they were into you, huh? <laughs> when- yeah. UCLA is known to produce like, crazy talent right and um, i had three or four other teammates that were in the draft as well and uh these guys were i think they probably already had agents and uh you know i think sometimes that kind of gets in your head Uh, for me i had no agent i drove to las vegas because seattle has their uh college combine there and then i drove to obviously not not that long of a drive but i went to the san jose combine as well and then I was able to go to the MLS combine and I, I think I did really well, so well in the Sounders combine that uh, Schmetzer, who was the assistant coach at the time, came up to me and he said, you know, I can't guarantee you anything, but I really appreciate you coming to this combine. And so for me, that was something that kind of let me know that I, that I performed well and I felt really good. I, I thought I, I was one of the best players there. And um, luckily, I think Siggy, because I was from UCLA, um, probably made it up his mind that he wanted to give me a chance. And um, for me, that that was one of the most beautiful moments to hear my name uh, getting called on ESPN and kind of sharing that moment first with myself and then um, sharing it with my family was, was really cool. Dude, I got I got a two part follow up question to this one, man, because you brought up some good stuff. And one was, did you know if any other teams were in, uh, interested in you? And part two is, you said you did well in the Sounders Combine. In in the Combine, does each team get a separate separate portion that you get to work out for individual clubs or something? Uh, so you get uh, they have their own just so like kind of like uh, New Mexico has their own Combine. They invite players from all over the country, and you provide your own stuff like you're not they're not paying for anything and so sometimes that's why uh they're during 
the winter time. So a lot of these players might be uh, vacationing or spending time with their family. Uh, but for me, like once they called, I was like, I'm there. So I think those invites are a form of them showing interest in you because there's only like 40 players. Uh, and so it's, it's by invite only, right? It's not like you're paying to go to these places, to these uh, tryouts. And so I figured San Jose was kind of interested, Seattle kind of interested, but um, I I know that if you get invited to the MLS Combine, it's because more than two or three teams are probably uh, interested in you. And so you, you think about it, it's only like 60 plus players that are 60-ish players that get invited to this thing. So there has to be a number of teams that are interested, at least in you as a player, I guess. Nice, man. So we don't always talk about specific goals necessarily or matches, but we have to talk about the hat trick, man. Um, what do you remember about that night? And what's it like to have a whole stadium chant your name? What's that feeling? I I can't really explain it, man. I think like to, to be able to share that with that many people and then the players on the field, uh, the players, their teammates on the bench, some of my closest friends were on the bench that day. Um to be able to, to kind of share that with them was, was beautiful. And um, I really can't put words to it, but it, it was a lifelong dream of mine to be able to have some moment like that and to make it happen. It was just, uh, it was unreal. And, and to be honest, like I, I, I probably, everything happened so quickly and like, it's just, so they, they, they always talk about this, like being in the moment. And that, that's what it was the whole time I was in the moment. I wasn't thinking about like, oh, I got one. Oh, I got two. Oh, I got three. No, I was just kind of like in the moment, like doing what I loved and just kind of like sharing it with everybody. And yeah, man, it's just, it's crazy to, to think that, that that's the way my uh, third season in MLS kind of kicked off. And I ended up scoring again after. And um, yeah, man, it was just kind of an unreal start to, to the year because I had the game before that I actually scored my um, first professional goal. And so then I scored a hat trick and then I scored the next game. And then I think I might've scored the next game, but they didn't give it to me because it deflected. <laughs> and so like I would have been on like a four or five games scoring streak, but uh, yeah, man, it was just kind of, it was a, the fruits of the labor of such pu- pushing my body and, um, Obviously, it's not just my accomplishment. I think it was my family's as well. And uh, I think for my parents to, able to be able to see that and see me on TV, I think it was probably just as meaningful to them. And so that, I always take that in perspective, too. Like, what I do is, is kind of like a reflection of, of my parents because they, they taught me so much. And um, by no means, I think I'm like this good person or whatever. But I think my parent, I try to be like my parents. And so I think that's why I, I want to keep doing these positive things everywhere I go. Nice. Well, you don't have to say you're a good person. We will for you, man. Sounds like your parents are really honorable people, man. They set you on a good path. So if they hear it, thank you to them from this community for sure. Appreciate it, brother. So um, after four plus years in Seattle, you were traded to DC United. What was it like to be traded and told, and told that you have a new employer now on the other side of the country, bro? Yeah, man, it was it was crazy because um, I was going through some personal stuff where I just I didn't want to go to DC. Um, I knew it was like an opportunity to start fresh, and at that moment, I kind of saw it like that. But at the same time, I, I just 
I moved from the Pacific Northwest in the summertime to like DC heat, heat of the summer, like humid on my own. I was living in a hotel, uh, just by myself. I need one other player on the team. Uh, but it was difficult, man. It was a difficult transition. Uh, but I played a lot. I will say that. And I thought we had a really good team. Um, and it was a cool experience just to kind of live somewhere else. And I lived in Arlington, Virginia. I took the Metro everywhere. And, um, it was a cool experience to, to, to live in, in, in the East side. But, um, I think I learned that the upper East side, like the, the, what the East coast is not my favorite part to live. <laughs> well, you, you know, they say the West coast is the best coast. <laughs> yeah, man. I totally agree with that term <laughs> or Southwest too. Southwest is cool too. It's, it's going on me for sure. Yeah. It's still West. It's still West. <laughs> so a- after DC United chose not to resign you, you landed at Sac Republic in the USL, which probably felt a little like homecoming for you. But me personally, man, I love the way you got there. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what, what the thoughts were that led you to make the phone call to reach out to, to, to Sac Republic? Um, in between my, uh, when DC released me, I actually was able to get a trial with Bob Bradley's uh, Stabek team. Norwegian team and they were in Portland for a invitational with MLS teams and his team. And so I was with, I was with his team for like about a week and that fell through. And so I was just in, in Seattle, just kind of waiting to see like if there are any opportunities would open up and I was reaching out to USL teams mm-hmm. and uh, I actually contacted uh, Graham Smith from Zach Republic at the time. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, man, I, I just kind of told them that I was looking for a team and I would fly out myself out there. And I just I just need an opportunity to kind of like prove that I belong there. And sure enough, after a week uh, trial, um, Preki wanted to sign me. And um, I think Preki is one of the coolest coaches I have ever had. I, I love his story. I'm inspired by his story till this day. And um, it was so cool because I was able to kind of reconnect with him when I was in Seattle my second time around, because he was an assistant coach there. He's one of uh, uh, Schmetzer's very good friends. And so it's funny how like everything kind of is interconnected in a sense. Yeah, it sounds like everything kind of fell together nicely. Sacramento was a great experience, it sounds like. Yeah, man, I really enjoyed my time in Sacramento because I always say this, like our first year was very... uh, It was it really reminded me of like my my second... uh, It was their second year for Sacramento, right? It was our first year. And I already felt that our first year uh, organization-wise was up to par with Sacramento's second year. And they already had won a championship their second year. Um, They were getting like 12,000 people at each game. And I felt this before we even had any fans. So uh, just the way they were organized in our front office, kind of the way we were going about it, we had a little uh, team store slash office that was very, very uh, um, similar to what Sacramento had their second year. And I was like, man, I have a really good feeling about this. But yeah, man, I think like when you surround people, uh, good people in a good in an organization that really believe in um, 
and what we're doing, I think that that's, that's, that's what happens, right? And I think that's what's happening right now in New Mexico. We have a bunch of amazing people, individuals that are coming together to for a bigger cause, and it, it's so much bigger than soccer. And so, yeah, man, I think that's what's happening in Sacramento, too. They had to wait longer than I, in my opinion, they should have to get an MLS team. Um, but thankfully, you know, they're, they're kind of make the jump, and I'm happy for that organization. What, while you were in Sac Republic, man, what, how was your how was your time with Preki? Because you're the second person that sort of mentioned him uh, that we've interviewed, and I'm just curious what your thoughts were on him. I love Preki because I'm all about like high press, like running 90 minutes. Like I think I'm a very I'm much more intelligent player than I was in the past, and so my running is a little bit more methodical now. I don't just run for the heck of running, but like Preki loves players that are super fit that are willing to run. And for me, I still think I, I fit that style, that mold. And that's why I enjoyed my, my time there because um, he pushed me to, to, like, continue to make those runs, to be aggressive. And he just let me do my thing, man. He wasn't, like, super, like, you got to do this. Gotta, no, he's just kind of, like, he knew how hard I worked. And so he didn't really have to, like, tell me to work hard. And so I always appreciated that about Preki. Some people say he's, like, you know, too, like, maybe too outspoken or whatever, but you know, it, everything changed for me in Sacramento when he left. And so obviously like when a coach likes you, you're going to like the coach, right? And so when a coach doesn't like you, uh, that's when, like the relationship uh, becomes a little bit weirder. It's not as uh, fluid. So yeah, man, when he left, obviously my role on the team changed. And like I said, I think sometimes coaches just have, uh, different opinions or uh, different ways of looking at the game. And sometimes you don't fit their plans and you can't ever take that personal because that's just the way life is sometimes. And it's not about like, it's because it's you. It, no, it's just because sometimes it's just the style of player that you are. And so I think that's one of the reasons that I've been able to kind of just keep going because um, I don't really take too much of those opinions personal. And I, I know the type of player that I am. I know what I can provide. Um, I think I can continue to provide that at a very high level till this day. So nice. Yeah, we talked yeah. to Chris Malinab. We love that guy, but he he raved about Preki and even the style, the high pressing style. He said the same thing that you did, man. That he loved it and he loves he loves working with that guy. So that yeah, that was man. cool. To hear I loved him too in, in in Sacramento, and it's cool to see this guy being outspoken about issues that that are important and that you know we don't address as much as we should. Absolutely. And the other thing is like I love the fact that he's out there. Um, pursue continuing his education in the game and um you know this this guy runs like crazy and so it's, it's super inspiring to yeah. to watch him and, and continuing to, to push himself to be better on and off the field definitely we're huge fans of chris man so after sac republic you headed back east what prompted you to make that move uh, out to charlotte just an opportunity man i was just kind of going where the wind blows you know and so yeah. um i got in contact with this individual uh from southern california I got me in contact with Mike Jeffries. And so we talked and I think he knew a little bit about like the type of player that I was and they, they offered me a contract and I was on my way, man. And I really love Charlotte, man. I, I really think it has the potential to be a big uh, soccer market. Mm -hmm. um, I think for us, structurally, we were lacking organization and um, people that were ambitious. And so... <clears throat> Now you see that when you have 
uh, people backing like the MLS uh, bid, they got it. And so uh, I'm excited to see that MLS project kind of come to fruition because I know a few of the people that are in the organization, starting with like Jorge Herrera, who's one of my former teammates, yeah. USL legend, one of the nicest individuals that I ever played with. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really ha happy to see that they, they got an MLS franchise. And I hope that the Charlotte Independents continue because I feel like <clears throat> for the small club that we were, we had some very loyal fans. And um, for me, that sometimes is just as special as having a full sta a stadium mm -hmm. full of people because you know those people are always going to be there for you. Absolutely. And you can always hear them, right? So sometimes when there's like five, ten thousand 10,000 people, you, you don't really hear the individual like uh, chants or um, the people encouraging you, but... And that's in that small environment, you can hear them and you can always hear them pushing you. And um, it was beautiful to play in that type of environment, to be honest. I enjoyed it a lot. Is, is uh, that where you first met Troy Lesane, too? Out in Charlotte? Yeah, that's where I met the legend. <laughs> still still kind of coming to his own, uh, letting Jeffries uh, be more of the vocal uh, leader of the group. But I always knew the type of soccer that he wanted to play. And so I always like, wanted to hear more of Troy when I was in, in Charlotte. And obviously it's, it's so cool to now just see him uh, kind of molding his own coaching style, his co his head coaching personality. And it's so cool, man. Like yeah. this, this whole, um, this organization is a reflection, I think of Troy and Peter. And so I'm just, just thankful to, to kind of like help create that uh, project for them. And it's, it's their vision and it's just, uh, we're just trying to like facilitate it and do everything we can to to make it happen. Nice man. So I'm interested because after a couple seasons in Charlotte, you went back to the Seattle organization, but in a dual role, in a, in a, in a dual role kind of a um, type of uh, path. I, I've heard this. I've read the. I've read the articles and I've heard the story a couple other ways. But how did it happen? Did did you go there first as a player and then get the assistant coach, or were you there as the assistant coach and then sort of got on with the the team too, the USL side? Um, I went there as a player to train with no, with a straight answer that I wasn't the type of player they were looking for. And I could train with them as long as I could, but um, that's just not the player that they're interested in signing. I built a pretty good relationship with John Hutchinson, who's back in Seattle. And I'd never met the guy, but, um, he really cares about the kids and the younger players and um, we build a good relationship because I told, I kind of let him know that I, I would do anything to help kind of mold these kids to be true professionals. Yeah. And, uh, it was through the, the second team's trainer, who's also the first team's trainer. Okay. Um, that she mentioned that they were looking for a U 15 assistant coach. And so, I reached out to the technical technical director for the second team, but he was the academy director as well. Gotcha. And his name is Mark Nichols, and he's now at he's like the technical director for the Charlotte team. Okay. And so I, I presented him the idea that I would love to take this uh, assistant coach as a U15 for the academy, but I wasn't ready to hang up the boots, and I would love to coach and play. Nice. And they thought about it for like a week. I think they talked with the people at the top 
and they decided that they they would give me that dual role and it was it was so cool man because i went there with my car i had a subaru and i had just my clothes like a couple of bags and you know like i didn't i didn't intend to stay there mm-hmm. but obviously things worked out and i was able to live in seattle another another year and um i think i had a pretty decent year and prove that I still have a lot in the tank and um, I learned a lot from coaching from the boys and from being around the academy system, learning from uh, Dan Locke, Chris Little, some of the coaches in the academy and obviously Mark Nichols, who was like a mentor to me during that time. Uh, these individuals really care about the development of the players, not just as soccer players but as humans and like their character and and for me that that gave me a different approach to the way i saw the game of soccer especially the way we develop players in the younger ages and so that's something that i've taken with me everywhere i go and um to be able to kind of share my knowledge with the younger generation is something that um i truly love and that's something that i see myself doing after i'm done playing as well Dude, and and you're right. You had a full year, 33 appearances, 11 goals. How did you juggle the responsibilities between coaching the academy kids and then playing as a professional? I, I lived at sports at the uh, what is it called? Um, what's the name? At this at the sports complex, right? Like, so I would get there like around not nine, uh, train morning. And then I'd go to the gym, who was in the same building, and then I'd have academy meetings that sometimes would have to do with, like, where the kids were physically, uh, what the plan was for the rest of the year. And then sometimes we had technical meetings, which was, like, what we were going to teach the kids throughout the week, throughout the net following months. And then I would coach in the evening, like, around uh, five or six. And, and there were long days, man, but like I was, and I also like, a lot of people don't know this again, but like I actually organized the gear for like the, the kids and then for, for the three teams, the U15s, uh, 17s and 19s. And sometimes I would even, um, I would help with the, what we had, it was called the discovery program where we had phases of like um, age group and we would invite them to train with us for a couple months and then we would invite another round to kind of see everybody right because there's a there's a there's so many kids that are so good out there in northwest they have seattle now and they they're super inspired to, to be there one day but yeah man for me it was like long days but they were beautiful man i i i was so like in that environment and sometimes i would train with the first team and like to to think that right so i was training Sometimes I train with the first team. I was on the second team, and then I'd coach the academy kids. So like, I was in every like aspect of the the organization, except for like management, I guess you can say. But like, for me, it was cool. And uh, you know, I love Seattle. I love the Sounders, and I always appreciate that they gave me that opportunity, that second opportunity. Dude, that's nice, man. So I take it that I take it the uh, coaching. Um gig with the Seattle could be a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come after the uh, playing career. Yeah, man. I don't know if that's something I want to do full time, but I definitely want to uh, be a part of growing the game 
And I think New Mexico has a big need. And I think there's a lot of really good, talented players around this area. And, um, you know, I think what Zach Prince is doing with the uh, high performance program, I think, is uh, the, a great foundation to, you know, help these kids, um, introducing them to high level uh, competition, hopefully with the U.S. Academy system. And absolutely, it's something that I, I would love to be a part of. In like in like three or in like three or four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I I know while you were at the Sounders, you're working on your coaching cert. Did you end up completing it, or are you still in the process no. of finishing? No, I started my C license. Mark Nichols was my um, mentor, and that was the reason why I could like um, coach the academy kids was because he was kind of foreseeing like everything that I was doing, and he would we would report to U.S. Soccer. Because you can't just work with the academy, right? You have to have the license. And so that was something that was, um, it's like a, they, they pretty much created this program for me to be able to work with these kids. The other thing that I should mention is that um, a lot of the kids that uh, were kind of coming up from uh, Eastern Washington um, were Mexican-American. And so I was able to kind of communicate with their parents and sometimes with these kids, right. To let them know um, how things were in this academy. Like uh, just the idea that, you know, if, if you're, if you succeed within the academy system, you are almost guaranteed a full ride scholarship anywhere, right. Or at least a scholarship anywhere. And to be able to tell this to their parents, to let them know how this whole system worked, right. Maybe they were going to have to make the trek. Maybe they, were, they could even move to closer to to Seattle. Like, right, like this was an opportunity for this kid to potentially, if he does well in school, if he does well in soccer, you know, get an opportunity to play in college, which is something that, and get get it paid for, which is something that I kind of went through. And to be able to kind of share that knowledge, you know, it was like, it was, it was kind of like full circle, you know. And uh, for me, that was such a beautiful experience to be able to kind of do that with some of these players. Yeah, amazing experience, man. How how in the world did you end up in New Mexico, man? I, it sounds like you loved coaching those academy kids. Was it the the Peter Trevisani persuasiveness? I followed my heart, man. I followed my heart, and uh, I think I always follow the love. Um, and obviously, I think my love for the game um, was still there. Like I still wanted to compete at, at a very high level. Um, being in Seattle, I knew it was going to be more towards coaching. So, hi, right, David. Gotcha. So we're going to, we're kind of prepping you now to like, now you're going to have to take a lower role in terms of like on the field maybe. And so I was like, I'm not ready for that. Um, there's an opportunity in New Mexico that I can continue to push myself and here I am. And, and it's honestly been one of the best decisions that I've made too. So I get to meet, I get to meet awesome people like yourself, man. Uh, we're, we're blessed to have you here, man. And, and uh, around that time, I want to mention Corey real quick. Uh, Corey Murchie, he was on the Curses Tip Jar Thursday and he was, he had a conversation. He was raising money, um, that you could use to buy healthy lunches for the kids at the Herman Sanchez Community Center. But Corey was, I feel really fortunate to get to know him this year. He's such an amazing guy. If you guys aren't familiar with the name offhand, Corey Murchie is an amazing visual artist and the bass player for Seattle band minus the bear, but he's also a huge Sounders fan, huge New Mexico United supporter, huge. David Estrada supporter, and he was saying that when he found out you signed on the team, he's like, I'm all in. And he got a season tickets when he found out you were on the yeah. team. How, how did you guys get to know each other? Bro, 
Have I told you I haven't even met the guy? What? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even met the guy. No. We've we've talked like this. I've talked to this guy like um, before I signed. Like when well, obviously when I signed before I moved out here to yeah. New Mexico, and he was like stoked. And like we missed each other because I know he was at a game one time, and we didn't connect uh, throughout the off season. I told him I was gonna go visit him. Yeah. But I think it's gonna happen this Saturday because he's working at a farmer's market in, Sa- nice. uh, in Santa Fe. So I might make a, a stop and I'll, I'll let him know that you said like, "How'd you know? How'd you meet him?" I was like, oh, that's <laughs> "But hey, man, man, like for me, it's it's all about like the story that he has too in terms of just like his journey and um, obviously to to be able to you know have that connection of the game with people." You know, the, that's the way these relationships are, are like are, are solidified, right? And so um, he supports me in, in what I do, but he's never met me, and he knows like that I'm doing it because I love the people that I work with, and I love where I'm at, and I love my community, and he's very much the same person in that sense. And so I appreciate, always appreciate his support because I know he's always advocating uh, for the treatment, uh, uh, equal treatment for everybody, and. Um, you know, the, the art that he creates is, is very inspiring as well. And I think you just bought a piece too, right? I did, man. It's, it's beautiful hanging on the wall. It's real nice. So got to show yeah, you. Man. Yeah. yeah, man. I can't wait to meet the guy though. Well, tell him, <laughs> tell him I said, hi. <laughs> I'll let him know. Do you need, do you need some produce? Are you good? <laughs> I'll, I'll send you an order. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and tell you about some of the good stuff our friend David Estrada is doing here in Albuquerque and how you might be able to help. David Estrada has done so much in all of the communities that he's been a part of, and that's no different now in Albuquerque. We encourage you to follow him on Instagram at the handle dedreamer19 and keep track of his efforts to assist in the community, especially as of late the Herman Sanchez Community Center. David is providing healthy lunches to the incredible kids there, so reach out to him and see if there's anything needed that week. Maybe it's a cash donation or some healthy snacks you can contribute. We appreciate everything you're doing, David. Nothing captures the spirit of Somos Unidos more than this. Thank you. Hey, this is Ima Tumasi. I'm from FC Dallas and Austin, and you're listening to Beyond 90. So, so Dave, we haven't been doing this podcast for too long, but whenever Albuquerque or New Mexico United are mentioned with our guests, we've heard from several of your peers in the league what a class guy you are. Your reputation is solid in the league. So how's that feel to you, man? Is it like, are you like, hell yeah, that's great to know? Or are you just like, well, I appreciate it and continue on with your daily routine? Or I think um, I've been very lucky to go to places where I have a platform to, to, to advocate for, you know, the equal treatment of individuals, right? Like, I think it's important for me to, to be outspoken about it because I grew up in an environment that people need a voice. and. Um, we are provided this platform in, in sports. And, you know, I think sometimes people just see us as athletes. They think like, you know, that's all we're thinking about. And yeah, for, for some time, like you do have to kind of just focus on the game. And, but there's also things that you just can't ignore. Right. And um, it, it really affects you emotionally, it affects you mentally. And, um, you know, to, to think that, you know, as a kid, I, I witnessed violence in the streets, you know, like that's something that, um, 
kids shouldn't have to deal with and it's it's not it shouldn't be normalized and so uh, yeah, I, mean, I just try to lead my life in a way that I hope inspires others and um, I want to be somebody that people think that they, he made a difference and if it's made a difference just by making somebody smile at a, a community center uh, for me that's that's more than enough man because I think those little differences in, in, in the world I think make all the difference and so um, to see these kids not just by playing with them by having a conversation with them by sharing a meal with them that, that goes beyond the game and um, for me that that's that's what's important and I think especially here in Mexico, we have a platform that we can't just let it go to waste. And um, I appreciate that Peter and the people in the front office have, have worked so hard to, to create that. And uh, I think, like I said, I think I'm just a reflection of the individuals that are around me. I think I've been very blessed to, to be surrounded by by people like um, Devin Sandoval, Josh Suggs, Juan Pablo Guzman, you know, just to name a few. And uh, for me, it, it's beautiful to, to be able to share that with them at this point in my career. As a native New Mexican man, I, I appreciate that. That was one of the first things I noticed that the the matches are fun. The the team puts on a great match, but once Saturday's over and the and the week goes on, you were advocating for for things that were important. And I I'm sure I can speak for fans from in every city you played in and places where you've lived that I appreciate that and I, we appreciate that a lot, man. That that voice is really important. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah, has there been any athletes or public figures whose advocacy has been an inspiration to you? I uh, obviously like Muhammad Ali, I think is a player that you have to look forward to that sacrifice so much. Um, Colin Kaepernick for me is like big yep. um, by my own um, learning, like I, not to get too like into pol- historical or political figures, but Malcolm X was somebody who was so influential in my life and uh, reading his autobiography, uh, Frederick Douglass as well is another book that um I read that changed my life, you know, and I, I think I've just been inspired by these individuals that, you know, they've, they've dealt with so much throughout their life and yet they continue to push forward. And, um, you think like, well, who am I to do this or talk about this? But, you know, it's, it's, it makes a difference. I think it starts a conversation. And I think one of the reasons why in this country we're going through such a dark time is because we don't address, uh, the difficult, uh, conversation of of slavery and racism and the impacts that it's had throughout uh generations and so for me i think i just want to be somebody who continues to address these issues and um, i always think that i also have the identity of mexican american uh, embedded in me and i want to advocate that you know we're just human beings trying to get by trying to trying to survive in this in this difficult uh economy and you know, we're hardworking people that love working. We uh, love, I think, our family. And when you put it, when you shed everything to the very root of it, you know, we're just trying to be happy and, and feel love, man. And I think at the end of the day, that that's all we aspire to do. And uh, that's why I, I want to continue doing that. And I'm just so thankful, again, that New Mexicans have been so um, welcoming to our team and to what we're trying to do on and off the field. Hey, uh, speaking of going to the market and produce, are you vegetarian or vegan? 
I'm pescatarian. Pescatarian. Okay. I couldn't tell from social social media. I didn't know if you were or not. I might cut this question anyway. But but, I was going to ask you. What I, will, I will say this. Uh, um, I only eat fish like uh, once or twice a month. But yeah. I love sushi. And obviously, I love like uh, mariscos. Yeah. There's a couple, mariscos, good, some good spots here. What's, you what's, the, good... Best, what's the best like seafood spot? Mexican seafood spot. Not new Mexican. You know where Mexican. the... Uh, do you know where the, it's called Mariscos, I think it is, and it's on central up near Golden Pride, but on the other side of the river. Uh, do you know the, if you take, if you take central route 66 and you go west over the bridge past the river and there's a a Golden Pride, like the one on Lomas, but it's on the other side Mm -hmm. of town and there's a Mariscos place right there. That's good. All right. You hit me up with the name though. All right. But yeah, I'm a pescatarian and. Uh, I just try to take care of my body. I try to eat mostly uh, vegetables, and um, I think it's such it's more important even now at my age to really eat foods that are gonna yeah. help me perform and and uh, help hopefully be at this uh, healthy state longer. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Hey, since you since you don't know if you're gonna cut that question or not, I just I just I just want to <laughs> ask one thing: What's that place, dude? What's that place that I like to go to? Uh, La Cruz, uh, Cruz Azul. What, what's it called? Uh, Cocina Azul. Cocina Azul. Oh, Cocina Azul. Yeah. yeah, on Mountain. Have, have you yeah. eaten there? Have you eaten there, David? I haven't eaten there. Is that the one by that uh, the bakery? Right. Yep, right across the street. Yeah. But uh, I, I just know, went man. to that bakery. Man. I had the best empanada. It was sweet potato i love potato yeah and i had obviously i had a <laughs> i had a, a 12 pack of these <laughs> oh we're talking about oh we were talking about being healthy <laughs> hey, but i only ate i only ate three of them <laughs> before i took them to my friend's house and then i ate three more so technically i only gave them <laughs> in different households uh, so we <laughs> yeah man, that place, you ran it that off in the foothills man i'm sure too. <laughs> yeah, that's it. exactly. Man. I, I I get do my workouts by how much I eat. So nice, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we want to talk a little bit about what essentially um, we want to talk about what's essentially become labor negotiations between the league on behalf of the owners and the players' association. In early May, the league asked the players to take a pay cut, which the USLPA countered offered a 10% cut on wages above 2000 a month while requesting a minimum salary of 20000 starting in 2020. More than fair from where we sit. But we spoke with the USLPA on Tuesday and they said they haven't yet received response from the league. For those who are unaware, would you mind talking about the player's position on this or how you feel personally about it? Uh, for our group uh, specifically, I know uh, Devin... Sam and Sam Hamilton and Chris Weehan are kind of leading the talks or like the, um, the communication between the PA and ourselves. And obviously I think the whole country is going through a difficult situation. And uh, for me, I think we want to continue. We want to play this year. And obviously playing means uh, putting ourselves at risk and so we just want to be protected in case like something was to happen. Right. So I know that not everybody gets insurance in this league. You can opt out of it. And so for me, I think it's important that at a minimum, we should all be covered uh, in terms of like healthcare. 
Like, I, I think that's a non-negotiable in terms of just being in this type of profession, right? And when you start there, I think we can talk about minimum. We can talk about everything else because at this point, you know, if if we're not going to take care of the players, um, putting their lives at risk, and you know, just thinking about like monetary um, gains or losses, and for me, then we're not starting at, at the at the right place. And so, I think for me, it's important that we all get insurance and are covered if anything was to happen. And but I as the player want to play. I I, mm-hmm. I see other leagues, NWSL, MLS kind of putting, you know, protocols in place to to play. And so I would love for USL to start something where we could know that there is a goal and goal, right? That we're gonna play at this date. And then hopefully the negotiations are t- like I said at minimum we are covered and we are protected if anything was to happen. And I think uh, there are teams that are on different spectrums, right? Some are in, some are on the fence and it's understandable. And so I think it's important that we just kind of set a foundation of where everybody stands. And I think the majority of players want to come back and play. Yeah. And so for me, I would love to, to get, uh, these negotiations kind of settled and for us to just focus on on what we do which is play and obviously in a safe environment but for me that's more or less where i stand but i i am so um thankful for the PA that what they're doing i know it's not easy i think it's long hours i think sometimes you know it's back and forth and a lot of the times it's just like it's just us kind of like asking and like not really hearing back and so i think to have an open communication back and forth I think is important as well. And mm-hmm. I think you've seen this a lot. So solidarity between the players and, you know, I think I stand with every player in this league that, you know, I hope that they, they, their contract is, is um, honored because, you know, the means are there to, for the players to be um, still paid. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of these investors are, are millionaires, billionaires. And so, um, mm-hmm. Yes, we we can talk about taking a pay cut, but we also want to hear about how we're going to come return to to playing in a safe environment with every player being protected, uh, insurance wise. Absolutely, we talked to Connor Tobin from the PA a couple of days ago, and we let him know the same. Man, we we have the the backs of the players' association, and we want the same things for you guys. You guys have become valued members of our community. You're not just players in the match on Saturday, and we want you guys to have a safe return to play. We want you guys to have input, and we want you guys to to all be paid uh, fair wages at the at the minimum. So we we support you guys, man. Dude, I have a um, question. And you think about it too, man. If I, if I can just finish, yeah, yeah uh, I think a lot of these players have families. I think it's important to take that into account, right? Like these guys have to worry about if they get sick. You know, they're jeopardizing their own families, and so I think we have to really think about like what is a safe way to come back to playing. And every player should have insurance um, to be covered if something was to happen in these difficult situations. And one of the other things that Connor mentioned was educating the younger players that are coming up on like how to read contracts and and all that other stuff. Because I'm sure at 17 or 18, when you're being drafted by a professional team, you're just excited for the opportunity to play pro ball. You know, you might glance at the paperwork, but unless you have an agent, you're pretty much well on your own, right? You having no agent when you signed, how did you find that, man? For me, man, I've been representing myself for like the last like half uh my half my career 
And I think I just kind of learned the ropes. And I think um, yeah, it's a difficult situation for these younger players that uh, just see money put in front of them. And in a lot of cases, again, these kids are maybe throwing away four scholarships to uh, really good institutions. But if I was to be put in their shoes, to be honest, I would probably do the same. I wouldn't like, uh, I'd probably skip college, but um, yeah. there's, there are, these are opportunities that sometimes have to be weighed. And um, it is a difficult kind of new phenomenon in terms of, we have a lot of young players that are signing on to these uh, USL second teams or some, in some cases, the first team. And so, yeah, man, it's a difficult situation because obviously once you sign with an agent, your agent is going to tell you to sign as, as soon as you can pretty much because uh, they'll probably get a cut of that. And so for me, it's important that these younger players realize and weigh in and like, am I really going to get a chance with the first team in the next two, three years, four years? Cause that's as much time as these uh, USL contracts are, are in length. Right. So I think it's something that needs to be addressed in, I, I love that these players are getting these opportunities at a younger ages, but I also think there has to be something in place where um, if, it fall, if it falls through, like can we have resources for these players to figure out how to uh, get another opportunity, figure out what can I, can I take classes afterwards? Can I pursue yeah. a degree while I'm trying to pursue uh, a USL career or an MLS career? Cause there's a lot of them. And uh, I hate to see these kids just kind of um, go play three, four years, and then they're out there without a degree, you know. And I think edu- the education is something that can never be taken away from us. And I think it's very important that we kind of have this conversation because um, there are a lot of them that are signing super young. Yeah, agreed, man. Um, so this is a little personal, but I've had the pleasure of seeing you, man, in the community, hands-on, working with New Mexicans. If I didn't know you weren't from here, man, I would have guessed you were born and raised because of like how much heart and effort you put into the community. That's not and true, then, bro. You know why? That's uh, not true. You know why? Because I'm not tatted up, bro. I love New Mexicans. I love New Mexicans, bro. I always, I always say that because I love New Mexicans, bro. Well, dude, we love you back. How did you ingrain yourself so seamless here, man? It just, yeah, it seems so natural. It's a minority like, majority state, bro. I feel at home, man. What are you talking about? It's like, do I really have to address the elephant in the room, man? Ah, but for, honestly, man, like, yeah. Um, in the stands, a lot, a lot of our fans are like Mexican American, and uh, for me, I just feel at home. Honestly, like I, I talk to the, uh, them in Spanish, and so to to be able to do that on a consistent basis for me is beautiful, man. And when I go to the community center, uh, these kids are like, "Wait, you speak Spanish?" I'm like, "Yeah, what do you think?" Like, and, and so like, it, it just feels like I'm I'm right at home, bro. And like, I uh, Spanish was my first language, and. Uh, it just feels like a little bit of Salinas here in, in New Mexico. And uh, the one thing that I will say is that um, people here are beautiful, man. Like they, they're so prideful. They're prideful of like this state of this city of what we're doing. And to be a part of it is just it's really cool, man. And I want to do my best to, to make them proud. And uh, I think we're going to continue to do that um, and continue to uh, build upon our first year. 
And you're a fighter too, man, from walking on at Seattle, um, you know, from, or walking on at UCLA, uh, working your way to starter at Seattle, you know, getting that, working the phones to get that job in the USL, like you're a fighter. I think New Mexicans see a little bit of themselves in you, you know? Yeah, man, we all have a story, bro. And I think, um, I'm just, I'm one of those players that hasn't, that will never quit and I will always give my all. And I think that's why, like you said, people can, can see a little bit of themselves in me. And, um, I think, Everybody has a story that we can learn from, and I think every New Mexican has a story, and I'm, I'm so happy that I get to share this love of the game that I have with such a beautiful community, and I want to do this as long as I can. Tell us about the Herman Sanchez Community Center. We saw on Instagram you even down there today. How would you get involved with those guys, and you know, tell us about the work you do down there. Yeah, man. So, again, when um, – I've been, I'm not going to lie. I've been through like uh, difficult situations in my life where, um, you know, you could really isolate yourself and uh, kind of lose relationships with people that, that are close to you. But man, I have a, a, a circle of individuals that reached out to me in a difficult moment in my life and have like just uh, provided a beautiful support. And like through them, I want to give back to the community that they're a part of. And so I've been connected with a amount of individuals that, you know, I've been able to bounce ideas with them. And so going through, again, we're going through a difficult situation as a city, as a state, as a country. And I just wanted to find a way to connect the dots in terms of just yeah. these kids, you know, sometimes the, the stuff that they're eating is not the greatest and again, I'm bringing them kind of like sweets, but these are like homemade sweets made with like real ingredients and mm-hmm. like made with like a baker that really puts her heart and soul into these things. And so that was just kind of like one of the first things that came to mind to kind of like share that I'm a sweet person. So I love sweets. I, I don't do spicy. That's another thing that, that probably doesn't, uh, you know, I'm not even cause I don't like spicy. <laughs> uh, and so, um, I was able to provide them with uh, treats on a regular basis because this baker uh, wants to share love of baking with these kids. And uh, the same thing when we provided smoothies and sandwiches that you guys helped uh, provide like with uh, a blended acai, right? Like that was something that happened because I knew you, you, Jake connected Corey and you guys wanted to make it happen. And so just recently too, I was donated a bunch of like gently used stuff that these kids love, man. And it's just so cool to be able to share this stuff with them. And and, like for them, it it, like really brightens up their week, their day. And it's just kind of like beautiful to to be able to kind of give back in that way. But um, yeah, man, I want to continue to do this, like I said, as long as I can. And I think I'm supported by amazing people. And for me, that makes it so, so worth it. That's good to hear, man. And uh, that wouldn't happen to have to mention David Carl, RJ Montano, the rest of the curse who are like really a community organization who is also a football supporters group. So thank you to those guys, man. They're, they're, they're excellent people. Um, uh, I, I love, I'm going to say this. I love the curse and I think we, they are the best fans in USL and probably I'll, I have to say like they're up there with like the Seattle Sounder fans. Um, but you guys are making a big, impact in the community and um we see the work that you guys are doing and we're so appreciative of that 
uh, you guys are allies in, in what we're trying to do, we're trying to create. And without the curse, there is no New Mexico United. So we appreciate you guys creating that environment for us, creating that hype for us, and always kind of backing what we're doing out on the field, even when it's and sometimes it's not not the greatest. You know, we have difficult moments. You guys have been with us throughout, like thick and thin. So we really appreciate you guys always supporting us. And obviously, the support goes outside of the stadium, which just kind of goes to show you how special you guys are. God, thanks for saying that, man. Um, I, I know that you had shared around that time you were looking for recommendations for places, that, you know, that you could pick up stuff from the kids. Is there anything that people can do want to help? Is there anything people could do for, uh, to help you get food to the kids? Um, so this, tomorrow I'm going to take a bunch of fruit for them, and that's been kind of like a little bit of leftover from like what we did in the um, the tip jar. Yeah. And a really kind donor that uh, donated a pretty decent amount of cash just to be able to provide anything that I wanted. So it's it's just crazy to think that, you know, this, I'm just like going about my day and I just receive like a, like a donation saying like, Hey, I know you're going to do something cool for the kids at the center. Right. Like just randomly. And so I feel like I'm supported and um, I just want to, I've, I've been, a lot of people have been reaching out to me. And so um, we will have another opportunity where they can directly like see what they do, uh, what their money does in the community, in that center specifically, because I, I don't want it to have money and then have it there for like a long period of time. I want it to be real quick. Like this is, this is the money that you're giving me and this is going right there the next week. Right. And so for right now they're, the kids are going to have a week um, break because there's a training that's going to happen um, that happens every year at the centers. And so in a couple of weeks, uh, I'll definitely do another kind of event where, or uh, sort of um, I'll put something out where they can donate. But for now I'm more than supported, man. And you guys have, have really facilitated that and, and made it make big, big difference in, in these kids' lives. Well, okay. wonderful, man. We'll, we'll keep an eye out and help out when the time comes in. Hey, David, you mentioned earlier in the, in the show, man, that, um, you know, sometimes you guys are just looked at as athletes and, and that's what you're recognized for. And that's sort of why Jake and I started Beyond 90 is because we wanted to start telling the players stories that aren't just on the pitch. You know, uh, we wanted to get to know you guys in more of a personal way that, you know, bring, you know, talking about stuff that matters to you. And for you, like, it's, it's amazing, man. You won the Humanitarian of the Year Award in Seattle and New Mexico. And when you're doing things from the heart, what does it feel like receiving an award like that? Uh, I think first, uh, the front office is the ones that are kind of like really doing the behind the scenes um, real work, right? For us, we sometimes uh, go to these already like planned events and we're there and we uh, interact with the fans. But I think how, how important it is to our front office staff, uh, Troy and Peter, that creates that environment for us to be able to give back. And for me, like, I honestly just feel like it fills my heart that I'm part of an organization like that. Right. Cause I've been in some teams where, you know, it's not that big of, of, uh, in the fabric of the, the club, right? Yes, they, they want to, they say they want to be a part of the community, but here you see the 
immediate impact that we have on people, right? Just by the interactions that we have. And um, one of the first times that Troy introduced me to the the guys were like, and this is like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet because he's been the humanitarian for Seattle Sounders. And so then he said, David. And so for me, I think from the get-go, these guys, my teammates already kind of knew that I was kind of like a lot in the community. And so I know this humanitarian award was kind of voted by the front office staff and the players. So I kind of think by default, they might have like voted for me. <laughs> so, but the other thing is like, I will say a lot of my teammates on the team do a lot of the community as well. Yeah. And um, that award is just not like one individual. It's a whole organization and every other guy on the team could have like received the award as well. Um, just to think like Devin Sandel, man, this guy's like, just by walking anywhere in any building, this guy lights up a room yep. just by who he is. And so I'm inspired by someone like that, that is part of this organization. And I can uh, share this, this love for, for giving back with him and his family. Um, you know, I think it's just a reflection of, of the organization as a whole. And, you know, some, some organizations don't even have humanitarian of the year awards, you know? And so just even have that is, is, is beautiful. man. And, I'm just so thankful, honestly, of like the front office staff and how important it is for Peter and Troy as well. Nice, dude. Nice. So here, here's a fun little question, man. Who's been your toughest opponent you've ever competed against? Even friendlies or? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It could be youth, whatever. I just want to know which one was your toughest opponent and why. There was this team in Watsonville who we could never beat. And they they were stacked. They were like these really good, talented, um, technical kids that I thought they were some of the best like soccer players I've ever seen in my life, man. And um, for me, I always thought like there's so much talent in in my area where I grew up, but a lot of these players don't get the opportunity because of um, you know they don't have the money to play for clubs. Uh, at some point, they have to maybe put their dreams aside, their aspirations aside, because they have to help uh, raise their own brothers or kids, and then maybe they have to get a job. But that's for me trying to beat some of those teams from Watsonville. Like, was really humbling because I always thought I was like the best in Salinas. But then we play like these little kids or from like Watsonville, small little town, small dude, right? And, <laughs> and small, and they would like whip us, man. But I will say in terms of like my professional career, like the other hardest, uh, most difficult opponent I've ever had was playing against Manchester United. Uh, and I think against Seattle, we got traveled like seven to one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, and I played, uh, I played right back that game. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right? Uh, and, and you know how like they have stacked rosters? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was zero, three zero at the half. And then they have like Bervatov, Wayne Rooney coming in at halftime, and they just like I think <laughs> Wayne Rooney ended up having like a hat trick or something like that. But yeah, that that was a very humbling experience as well. Pretty cool to line up against those guys. Yeah, it was a cool experience because I also met uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, but I will say this: like Siggy uh, wasn't really happy about that experience. <laughs> no, <laughs> he, he was he was living man and. I, I love the guy, but obviously it's like a, a reflection of his 
competitive nature and um yeah it was a cool experience for us players but to be whooped that bad in front of our crowd it was like a sold out uh stadium central link was probably like 50 60,000 people you know like i think he had to like uh give an apology and you know it's just it's humbling to know that even though we're considered professionals there there's other levels to to this profession and you know those are the players that get paid millions right that's mm-hmm. That's kind of like the the disparity in terms of just like resources that those players have compared to us. Nice, man. So you've had a pretty uh, storied soccer career, bro. What's been the greatest thing that soccer has given you? The greatest thing that soccer has given me, man, was just like, it's been my health. Uh, the knowledge that um, what I do can be used to, to better my health. Um, that's why like when I run, I, I get paid to run in a sense, you know. And to, to, to think about it that way, I get paid to go to the gym. I get paid to take care of my body. It's a, it's an investment when I, when I buy healthy foods. Um, and the other thing is just the, the relationships that I've been able to build. Uh, some of my closest friends I met through soccer and I, I, I'm talking about Salinas, California, you know, youth club soccer, uh, Sunday league soccer, uh, those relationships. And obviously a handful of them throughout my professional career. I've also made friends through soccer outside of the game, like John Wilson, who is in Seattle, Marco Nunez and his family, who's in here in, in New Mexico, and a bunch of families in, in Charlotte that I got close to because I used to coach kids out there as well. And so those relationships are, are kind of like what this game has really you know, it can't take it away from me. And um, I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to build those relationships. And I hope that I can create a, a lasting legacy here in New Mexico uh, through relationships and creating, as um, Peter would say, positive outcomes. That kind of is my next question, man. Where's David Estrada in 10 years? And I hope you say New Mexico. Yeah, man. No, five, 10 years. I see myself here. Uh, hopefully at some capacity, bringing back the UNM uh, men's soccer team uh, coaching, great. maybe with, with Devin Sandoval or something. That's what I see myself doing. Uh, I think if anybody could bring, uh, if he wants to, <laughs> right. If he has to want to, yeah. like at some point, this, this place has developed some really good soccer players, uh, in terms collegiately and obviously go on to play professionally. And it was very sad to kind of see that happen when, they they got rid of the program but you know i would love to be able to be working in the community in a nonprofit, maybe at a center to maybe be the head of a center uh with maybe a, a focus in soccer and health and that's really what i would love to continue to do uh, after i'm done playing with soccer love the sound of that man um it- Thank you for your time, man. You've been uh, really generous. I'm, I'm sorry we ran a little over, but you've been really generous with your time. But um, before we let you go, man, is there anything you want to tell, like any of your fans or friends in Seattle, New Mexico, any other place, man? Is there anything you'd like to say? Um, I just, first of all, I wanted to thank you, Lance and Jake, for um, giving us players a voice. I think uh, uh, the more opportunities we have to get for people to get to know us, they realize that we're just, you know, human beings with a similar story as theirs of triumph of difficulties of, you know, just everyday life things that that we all deal with. And, um, I appreciate you guys providing this platform. 
And I think, I guess I, I can send a, just a, a thank you to everybody has played a role in uh, for me to be able to continue to do what I love. And uh, I can't name them all, but they know who they are uh, for believing in uh, someone who probably didn't deserve <laughs> an opportunity because I've played with so many, many, many more uh, talented players, but they saw something in me and, you know, it's just, it's just cool to, to be able to, to have these conversations that I'm continuing to play this game because it's in their honor because they believe in me. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a message of, of gratitude. Toward them. I'd expect nothing more than humility from you, man. <laughs> Appreciate you very much, man. Thank you for coming on and hanging out with us, man, telling your story and again, being generous with your time and thank you for everything you've done personally in New Mexico. But I, like I said before, I know I speak for, for, fans and all the other places you've been, man. Thank you for, for doing everything you do. Appreciate you a lot, man. Hey, David, I'll just say this, bro. Yeah. I, I I only started st- uh, studying up on you when I found out you were coming on the show, bro. But let me tell you, very impressed, man. And I hope that you talk to the kids and tell them your story because, man, you said a lot of good things in there, especially that I like that you can't let other people's opinions influence the career path or what you want to be doing. You can't take no's personally. You know, I, I, those are big. I think those are really big things that kids don't understand today. And I think when somebody yeah. tells a kid, no, it shatters their heart and it sort of deters them from what they really what what their dream is. And to see you and to hear your story, bro, it brings happiness to me. And I and I hope that you're sharing that with every kid out there that you come yeah. in contact with, man, because it's it's beautiful and it's it's teaching, you know. Uh, so thank you for what you're doing out there, man. Seriously. I appreciate it, Lance. And hopefully we can uh, see each other at some point, uh, whether it be out in, in a, on the street or in a stadium. Like, again, I appreciate you giving us a voice. And, um, thank you guys for allowing me to share a little bit about my story. And I'll continue to do that for sure. I, I love to talk about like the path that I've taken because it's, I really do believe is the path less taken. And um, I hope that other people can follow in, in those footsteps and create their own path that, you know, maybe um, they don't see themselves taking because it's too difficult, but it's so worthwhile, man. I'll tell you that much. Every difficulty, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. Thank you for listening. Beyond 90 has been produced by Chingo Records and In the Sangre Productions. Please leave a review if you like what you heard. 